Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 through 34. Listen to God's Word. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough of its own, enough troubles of its own. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Jerry. Will you pray with me and for me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love you've given us for Jesus Christ and for your spirit at work in our lives. And we pray this morning that uh, you would strengthen us, and that we would remember the gift you've given us through Jesus, and help us, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, not only to know of your love, but to trust in it. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Have you guys ever heard of a selfie? No, never. Do you know that selfies are so part of our culture today, aren't they? I, there are, I read this statistic, and everything you read on the internet is true, so I'm sure this is true. There are 93 million selfies taken every day. Now, this number may sound high, but I was thinking about it. My wife, Melissa, and I, whenever we take a selfie, it takes us about 40 or 50 to get it right. Maybe why the number's a little high. But you know, selfies are actually really helpful. They've, um, you know, it's, it's something you can do on your own, and, and you don't need anybody to help you with it. And what's amazing to me in our culture, because we share all this on social media, selfies have kind of taken a life of their own, right? I mean, it's not just, hey, I'm going to take a picture of myself and, and share it. I mean, it's like uh, we, we do all these things now. There are all these like types of selfies out there. For instance, there's the celebrity selfie. This selfie broke the Internet. I just want to tell you. In 2014 at the Oscars, I think it was retweeted over three million times. Uh, so apparently if you get a lot of uh, celebrities in your selfie, you're good to go. There's also the I'm taking a selfie somewhere really cool selfie. Like in space. So... You know, that bucket list, right? How do you, seriously, how do you get your iPhone up there? I just want to know. And those big gloves the astronauts wear, I'm impressed by that, so I don't know if that's real or not, but I had to share it. And my personal favorite, the adorable family selfie. I mean, I mean, come on. It's just so cute, right? And I'm just kind of hiding there in the background, but uh, that's how it goes. But, you know, I think selfies, like I said earlier, we all take them, uh, you know, maybe some of us more than others. But we take selfies, we use them. Actually, it's it's really helpful. You know, I can just open up my phone right now and uh, we can all be in a selfie. Oh, I closed it. I can't even do it right anymore. 
But you push this button on your phone and then all of a sudden you can look out and you don't have to have anybody around you. You don't have to, you don't have to ask a stranger to take your picture ever again. And can I tell you, I am, uh, the designated selfie person in our family. I, because of my long arms. My wife, Melissa, is the youngest of five and we have, uh, 13 nieces and nephews and her parents. We were all together one day. I got everybody in the picture. So I'm your selfie guy. But you know, what's great about selfies is that it helps us to stay connected. You know, for some of us, it's a form of empowerment, right? We, we want to make sure that uh, we tell everybody that, man, we're, we're confident in who we are. So I think that selfies aren't all bad. I think that there are some good things about selfies. But let's be honest, there are some dangerous things about selfies. Would you agree? I mean, first of all, we've, we're taking a picture of ourselves and we can uh, dangerously be inwardly focused. But the thing that I want to focus on today as it relates to selfies is this idea of taking the perfect selfie. Now, I said earlier that we, my wife and I, Melissa, I I tell you, there's never the right picture, right? You're going through it and and maybe you're like this. It's crazy to me how much we worry about getting the perfect selfie. And I know all of you do this. You worry about the lighting, right? Is Is the sun in my face? Should it be behind me? Am I squinting? Right. If it's indoors, I don't have flash on my selfie. Maybe your phone does, but mine doesn't. How how do I get the perfect, you know, lighting or what about the background? Man, I'm taking a picture and there's this guy walking behind me. Can we do this again? Everybody, can we get back and and do another selfie or man, this background isn't really cool enough. Or uh, Melissa took a picture of me the other day and so focused on getting her and Liam and my head got cut off. Right. So we. We get so focused on trying to take the perfect selfie that we miss out and we worry about our hair. I have learned there are certain times of day to take a selfie when I'm including other people around, right? Not first thing in the morning. We worry about what we're wearing. We worry about how we look and we want to provide this perfect picture of our outwardly appearance because, man, the world's going to see it. Now, can I ask you a question? And I want you to be honest. When you look at a photo, if you've taken a selfie with a bunch of people, can I ask you, how do you decide if that picture is good or not? Yeah, you look at yourself. Man, y'all actually answered. I'm impressed. You look at yourself first. And so we find ourselves, the danger of the selfie is we can be self-absorbed, self-focused, and we worry about being perfect. We worry that we're enough. We're, we worry that we have it all together. Man, I've seen families do this time and time again. We worry about having that perfect smile. I can't tell you trying to get a two-year-old to look at the camera and then to do all that, but, but we want to provide this perfect moment, this perfect glimpse in time. And so even if we're all having a rough time, we might in our families just, okay, everybody, get it together. We're going to take a selfie. This is going on the internet. And so we, we strive for perfection in our families, in our lives, in our appearance. And we want to know if we look good enough for the world to see. Because, hey, this might go on the Internet. People might see us. And it becomes a lot of pressure. And so I think the danger of the selfie is that we try so hard to project this image of of perfection that we worry over it. We fret over it. We focus on it. And and that's the danger of a selfie. Did you know that 36% of people have admitted to changing their selfie before they post it on the Internet? To, you know, whether it's a filter or they're just making it look a little better or maybe the, the lighting was off. They want people not only to see a perfect version of themselves, but more perfect than they could ever be on their own. And so what I want to know is when did we move from being amazed at taking a picture to making that picture look perfect? 
So today we launch a new series, Loving Your Neighbor as Your Selfie. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it means not only to love God, but to love others as God loves us, to love our neighbor as our selfie. And, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about loving others, don't we? I want to spend a little bit of time talking about loving ourselves and how we're supposed to do that in the context of God's love for us and what that looks like. So we're going to focus on the selfie a little bit and we're going to look at this idea of wanting it to be perfect. Now, here's the thing. I know that some of you out there are thinking, Pastor Mark, we're talking about selfies today. Um, I'm checked out. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know because I would never take a selfie in my life. This is a ridiculous thing. And the people who take selfies, they're narcissistic and they're self-absorbed, so I don't want to have anything to do with them. You go ahead and talk all about it. Well, I'm going to challenge that idea today. Because whether you're actually taking a picture of yourself or not, I think there's this vein of reality where we all fall into this trap or can, where there's a part of our lives we want to be projected perfectly. I think there's a part of our, I think we can all relate to that idea that there's a part of our lives that we want projected perfectly. Think about it. We all have this, for some of us, we have this work version of our selfie selves, right? We want... You know, our lives could be crumbling around us, but our work has to be perfect. When we're at work, we're in and we are game faced and everything is going to go well that day. And and if it doesn't, I'm going to do everything that I can to make it perfect. Right. I'm going to I'm not only going to do my job well, but I'm going to do it better than anybody else. I'm going to dedicate my life in, in such a way that everything that I do at work is projected perfectly, and I'm going to stress, and I'm going to worry over it, and I'm going to do everything that I can to make that perfect, because if I don't, I'm afraid that my world will fall apart. Maybe that's you. Now, some of us, it's not work, it's our family. And we love our families, but we have this kind of strange expectation that our families will be projected perfectly in the world. Right? And and so whether we're a parent, or a spouse, or even a student, we struggle with this idea. We, maybe we want this perfect part of ourselves. We want to please our parents. And so we're going to do everything that we can to be in all the extracurriculars, to earn the best grades so that we can go to the best college, so that we can impress our parents and tell them, hey, I'm worthy of your love. That's true for some of us. Maybe for some of us it's, hey, I, I'm going to be the best parent no matter what. And when I'm out in public, my kid is going to behave or else, Right? And so we want to project this perfect version of our selfie. Or maybe as a spouse, man, we are going to bend over backwards. We're not going to, we're going to stop communicating. We're going to do everything that we can to be the best husband or wife that we possibly can be. And we're going to do it at such an expense that one day we're going to be bitter and we're going to be angry and we're going to forget why we fell in love with the person we're married to in the first place because we were so busy trying to be perfect, we forgot how to be real. See, I think we can all relate to that idea in one way or another. And can, just as a side note, for those of you who your house is always perfect, I mean, come on. Your house is always perfectly clean. That selfie version of yourself, that's impressive. And for those of you who maybe your selfie version is uh, nothing bothers you, nothing phases you, I don't believe you. <laughs> right? I know we're going to talk about anxiety and worry today as uh, Scripture talks about it. Uh, but I just want to say that if you try to tell me you're not anxious or worried about something, I just don't, I don't believe you. I love you, but I don't believe you. Can we just be honest for a minute? I just want to ask 
uh, or say something honestly. Normal isn't perfection. Can I say that again? Normal isn't perfection. And you know, the truth is normal isn't normal, really. We all have this idea of what normal is and we strive for this strange expectation and, and this, these weird ideas and we think we're striving for what normalcy is, but man, we, we kind of all have our own thing. And we all have this version of ourselves that we portray as, as a perfect reality and it, and it isn't. And it wears us out and wears us down trying to keep up. So Daniel Gilbert, he's a psychology professor at Harvard. And he drew on this well-being index. I guess it was taken by Gallup. And it stated in the index, I don't want to get this right, that Americans are smiling less and they're worrying more than they were a year ago. Happiness is down and sadness is up. That we're getting less sleep. And uh, we're, we're smoking more apparently. Not me, but maybe that's, that's true. And uh, depression is on the rise. And can I tell you, having been in campus ministry with students who are going through college and they see these high levels of expectations, depression is on the rise. And so here's what, I, what he goes on to say. He, he stated that the real problem is not financial, not having enough money, but it's something else. It's uncertainty. People don't know what's going to happen. You know, what's funny about that statement is we've never known what's going to happen. The future really is outside of our control and sometimes our present is too. And what I want to say to you is this idea of worry and uncertainty. It's a biblical problem. Jesus talked about it. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 28 in our passage today. And I want to read what Jesus said. He said, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear or uh, or what shall we drink? I skipped one. And so Jesus says, don't worry. And, you know, I was thinking about that and I brought these wildflowers from home. My wife, actually, Melissa, went to go get these at the farmer's market last week. And what's funny is I thought, hey, we have wildflowers in the house. I'll, I'll bring them tomorrow and show them because my wife loves wildflowers. And she'll tell you she would prefer a wild bouquet of flowers over a perfectly trimmed and manicured uh, set of red roses any day. And, and what's beautiful about them is they're just natural in beauty and they're so colorful and you know what's what's so funny about this is last night I, I picked these up and we had uh, we had gone down for a conference and come back and and I said man I need to go get new wildflowers these are dying right I don't want everybody to see these dying wildflowers and and then I, it hit me wait a minute these are beautiful the way they are no matter what season of life they're in and isn't that true for us that in some fashion some regard. We need to remember that we're like these wildflowers, that we were created beautifully by God, just as we are. We don't have to be primmed perfectly or, or manicured the right way. We just need to be who God made us to be and to follow Christ in that. But, you know, the beauty of this is that 
even more than the wildflowers, we were created in the image of God. And here's why that's important. Because if we're made in the image of God, then that means as, and now we have Jesus Christ and the Spirit at work in our lives, there is a part of God at work in us, and we reflect his beauty in the world. And so when Jesus is talking about worry, he's not saying, hey, don't, you know, give up your jobs and don't uh, ever have food, don't drink, don't have clothes. He's not saying go quit your job and don't do anything about it. What Jesus is saying is quit trying to make it perfect. Quit trying to control every circumstance and make it the exact way that you want it to be. And so I want to challenge you this week, and we're going to use this on the back of your bulletin. You'll see it, a little hashtag. And if you don't know what a hashtag is, go find a young person. They'll explain it to you. We're going to use this hashtag over the next three weeks during the series called the Stafford Selfie, because here's the thing. God has planted us in this community at this time and this place, and, and I'll, we'll provide these challenges. But this week, I just want to uh, invite you to take a selfie of yourself. And, you know, I want you to do that where you're planted, maybe uh, something that you're thankful for, or maybe in an area that you're just reminding men, this is where God has planted me. This is where I am. This is where God has called me to be, like the wildflowers. And as you take that selfie, maybe don't take 40, just take one. You know, maybe your hair is just a little messed up and you're not in just a perfect outfit for that selfie. And then I want to invite you to, to post that picture and, and, you know, and whoever can be in that selfie and then put Stafford selfie. You can put whatever you want. Uh, and maybe somebody will come to you on, you know, that you're connected to and say, hey, I noticed you took a selfie and you're looking a little funky. Everything all right? And then you can explain and talk about, hey, this is an opportunity for me to share who I am. And how God has made me, how God has created me to be. You see, our job isn't to create or to control, rather, the world around us and make it perfect. Our job is to reflect the perfect love of the one who created the world. The one who created us in his image. So Jesus goes on in verse 33 and he he gives this really simple command. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Pastor Mark Miller puts it like this. We must remember we're not in the land of the living moving toward death. We're in the land of the dying moving toward life. We're, we, in order to keep things in perspective, we have to focus on the land of the life. Not in our circumstances, but on our eternal hope. We have to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, maybe you're like me, and I grew up in the church. I've been hearing, be firm in your identity in Christ. You are a child of God, and live into it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Does anybody know what that means? I mean, can I just get an amen? Like, okay, how do I do that, Jesus? Anyone? Thank you. I heard some amens. That was very positive. Just a rumble. So how do we do that? Well, there are two big steps that we can take to seeking God's kingdom and righteousness first. We need to know and we need to trust. We need to know how much God loves us and we need to put our trust in his love. And can I tell you, this comes straight from scripture. First John chapter four, verses 16 through 17. In fact, I want to invite you to read the underlined portion with me. We know how much God loves us 
and we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Thank you. And as our scripture continues, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Friends, we need to stop striving for the perfect selfie version of ourselves. And we need to let go of worry and the uncertainty in our lives. We need to get rid of fear and make room for the God living in us. Because can I tell you, the only thing we really would fear in the greater perspective is that day of judgment. And through our hope, through our knowing and our trust in Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear, which means that our circumstances are temporary. So we need to know and we need to trust. We need to know that God loves us. And I've found this to be true in my life and maybe it's true in your life, but no matter what circumstance I'm going through, no matter how hard life seems, if I have people around me that, man, they know the very worst part of me and they love and support me anyway, it makes a whole heck of a difference. Have you ever experienced that? Well, can I tell you that you have a Father in heaven who loves you so much more than anybody around us could ever love us. And he's created you in his image to love, to, to be loved, and then fills us with his love so that we can love him with all that we have and, and love others as ourself. God loves us. And that's what we need to remember. That's what we need to know. You know, it was immediately after World War II and the Allied forces, you can imagine kind of the devastation in some of the areas and with all the death camps that existed in uh, Nazi Germany, kind of cleaning all that up and all the, the amount of homeless children that they found. And, and so they would put them together in groups and they really focused a lot on trying to do everything they, they could to care for their needs. And many of them were starving, close to death. I mean, you've, maybe you've seen the pictures and you can imagine that, uh, you know, they tried to do everything they could to feed these kids, to help them, and, and to do everything for them. But what they recognized is they weren't sleeping very well. They were still very restless, and they were trying to figure it out. Okay, what can we do? Is there something we're not doing? Well, the psychologist came into these groups and, and realized and, uh, something that he could do. He gave each child a piece of bread as they went to bed. Now, if they got hungry in the middle of the night, they could get up and ask for more food. But this piece of bread was not to be consumed. They were to hold on to it. And this slice of bread produced marvelous results because the child would go to sleep and subconsciously feeling that it would have something to eat tomorrow. That assurance gave the child a calm, peaceful rest. See, Jesus Christ is the bread of life. His sacrifice on the cross is a visible action of God's love for us. And when we know that, when we're confident in what Christ has done for us, our attention starts to shift from the concerns and the circumstances of our world, and it starts to shift to the hope of our world. That's why we come together for worship. That's why we break bread together at communion at least once a month. That's why we read our scripture so we can know Remember, that's why we're together in small groups and and we support one another and we love one another. We talk about what God has done in our lives because we need to know and we need to remember what God has done and is doing and God's great love for us. 
It's because we need to know God's love. We need to remember. We need to remember it constantly. But it's not enough to know. We need to remember to trust. Trust in his love. Kara Tippett, she's an author and she was a mother of four, a co-worker with her a husband who was a pastor and, and they did ministry together. She went uh, to live with the Lord uh, March 22nd, 2015. And she passed away after a long, courageous battle with uh, breast cancer. And as the cancer spread, Kara courageously embraced her situation and she decided to trust in a sovereign God. She believed that cancer was not the point, but that Jesus was. And as Kara and her family kind of processed what God was calling them through that, uh, she invited, she was an author, she invited the community with her to journey uh, through this seemingly impossible ordeal. And so she, she asked, how would she trust God in the midst of the sickness? How would she trust God in the midst of dying? And so this is what she wrote uh, prior to her death. She said, my little body has grown tired of the battle and the treatment is no longer helping. But what I see, what I know, what I have is Jesus. He is still giving me breath. And with it, I pray I would live well and fade well. By degrees, doing both living and dying as I have moments left to live, I get to draw my people close. I get to kiss them and tenderly speak love over their lives. I get to pray into eternity my hopes and my fears for the moments of any loves. Uh, of my loves. I get to laugh and cry and wonder over heaven. I do not feel like I have the courage for this journey, but I have Jesus. And he will provide. He's given me so much to be grateful for, and that gratitude, that wondering over his love will cover us all, and it will carry us. Carry us in ways that we cannot comprehend. You know, the reality of life and death is that it can be scary. It's uncertain, and so it brings worry and fear. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the bread of life, something for us to hold on to our hope, no matter what circumstance we're going through, our assurance, to know that we will come through it on the other side in eternity with Christ, that we have nothing to fear, even at the day of judgment, because Christ is with us. We know how much God loves us. We've put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence. Because we live like Jesus here in this world. Friends, may we be so bold to live like Jesus here in this world. So confident in our love for God and God's love in us, that we would know in God's love and trust in it, friends, that we would be willing to follow God wherever he might lead us and that worry, fear, and doubt would no longer consume us, but we would seek first the kingdom of God and all that we do and and trust in his love and his righteousness. May 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 the Spirit strengthen us to do that.